Lord Jesus, we stand here this morning in your power and in your name alone. It's because of what you've done for us, coming and living perfect life, dying the death that we deserve to, to die, taking our punishment on the cross, and then rising again from the grave and living forever as our high priest. We stand alone in you. Otherwise, we fall. We would be totally consumed by the holiness of our holy God. So we worship you, we adore you, we praise you this morning. Father, as we sit here in this comfortable room and worship you, we think of brothers and sisters in Christ who have lost their homes, lost family members in Turkey, in Syria, churches that have been destroyed and now lay in ruins. But your work continues, and we pray that you would work powerfully in that place. Allow your children to have an extraordinary witness for you. You promised, you told us, that as the world reels towards its final end, there would be major turmoil between nations, in countries, in lands, and in the earth itself. It's what we're experiencing, but you also promised that in the middle of that, your gospel would go to the very ends of the earth, and we pray that powerfully you would work by your Spirit to comfort, to draw many of those who are broken and realize they have no hope for eternity to the hope that is found in Christ alone. Now as we open your word, we ask that you would open our minds and our hearts. We would be responsive, that we would hear what your Spirit has to say to this church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, choir and orchestra, and all of you for helping to lead us in worship this morning. So good to be with all of you this morning again. As we go through this month of February, one of the things that we are focusing on is growing as a house of prayer. We gave out this little booklet at the end of January and encouraging all of us to take just a few minutes each day, read one of these meditations, spend some time learning and growing. If for some reason you didn't get this book in one of those two weeks, there's still just a very few copies available in the prayer room. But as we do that, we've been encouraging um, all of us to fill out this little card. There are more cards out on the table there in the middle of the foyer. Something I learned this week and then bring it in and set it on the table. And um, as we heard last week from Conrad Humphrey, this week I've asked Hannah and Lily Williams to come and share with us something that they are learning about prayer as as a church together we grow as a house of prayer. So Hannah and Lily, would you come and share with us something you're learning? Yeah. Hello, my name is Hannah Williams. Something I've noticed is that you become what you surround yourself with. Just like how you become like your closest friends, if you are in constant communication, in constant prayer with God, then he will be seen through you and he can use you as a light to others in bringing him glory. Something I learned that impacted me this week from going through the prayer book is this. Jesus is my prayer teacher. He taught me how to pray and in his ministry, he taught his disciples not how to preach, but how to pray. He taught it by setting an example himself. Knowing how to talk to God is more important than knowing how to talk to man. 
And I think this is important because I get so caught up in everyday issues, communicating with friends, teachers, coaches, and family, that I forget to lean towards prayer. I forget the importance and impact it has in my life. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, guys. So good. We're all learning and we're all growing, aren't we? There's always more we can learn about being people of prayer, a house of prayer. So I'm, I'm excited to, to hear many things that we're learning. As you come in on Sundays, I hope that you can just write down a little note. Maybe you forgot to bring that little card, but there are cards out there on the table. Just write down something that you're learning about prayer and spend some time looking at what other people are learning. We just want to encourage each other, grow together. Um, we want to become a house of prayer. It's clearly God's will for us, and it's our desire to do His will. This morning, we're back in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 7. I think one thing all of us have experienced is the difference between cuisine and just cooking, right? I, I mean, we, it, we all have eat food, we cook food, we, but when you go for cuisine, there's so, it's like a higher order of cooking. It's, it's a little better. Those of us who like cars, who drive cars, we know that, you know, there's, there, are, there are good cars, really good cars like Chevy's, but then GM also makes, what, Cadillac. It's like different order. It's a, it's a higher order. Toyota, you know, Toyota is the big mother company out of Japan that makes lots of really sturdy, strong cars, but then they also make Lexus. It's a higher order. There are higher orders in all kinds of life, and what we're seeing in Hebrews chapter 7 is that Jesus is part of a higher order, a higher order of priesthood. It is much different than the Aaronic priesthood. So you have the order of Aaron. And all of the Levites, the, the Levites were one of the tribes of Israel, one of the sons of Jacob, his 12 sons. And the, the Levites and the priests all came out of that Levitical order, that Aaronic order. They were, it was passed down from father to son, father to son, all the way down. But Jesus is from a higher order of priesthood, not part of the Levitical priesthood, not part of Aaron's priesthood, a different order, a higher order, and extraordinarily important for us to understand. So last week, we looked at chapter 7 of Hebrews, and we looked at verses 1 to 3. Melchizedek is the type of this higher order. Melchizedek appears in Genesis 14. If you are here last week, we studied that Melchizedek's name means king of righteousness, Melech, Tzedek, Melech is king, Tzedek is righteous, so king of righteousness. He was also a king of a city called Salem, which is peace, so king of peace. And he has, there is no history of ancestors or descendants of his birth or his death. So there's the imagery of him being without end which is shocking for Genesis because everywhere in Genesis, so-and-so was the father of so-and-so who was the father of so-and-so, so-and-so begat, so-and-so he begat, so-and-so, and they lived for so many years and they died and they died and they died and they died. That's everywhere in Genesis except for this guy who just appears and disappears. 
And what is missing is really important. He is a type of the anti-type. He is a shadow of the reality. The reality is Jesus. Jesus is king of righteousness. Jesus is king of peace. And Jesus has no beginning and has no end. Now, in verses 4 to 10 this morning, we're going to look at the surpassing excellence of Melchizedek as a different kind of priest, a higher order of priesthood surpassing the Aaronic priesthood, and then that surpassing excellence is seen in Jesus. What the whole reason Melchizedek appears in Genesis 14, and only in Genesis 14, in four little verses, is to point us to Jesus. The supremacy of Jesus Christ as our high king and our high priest is prefigured for us in this individual called Melchizedek. Now, we're seeing that unpacked in the chapter, uh, chapter 7 of Hebrews, but it began at the very beginning. The Holy Spirit's been preparing us for chapter 7 from the very beginning. So let me just point out a few verses for you. If you, if you have your Bibles open, um, look at chapter 1. In chapter 1, verse 6, we see the, the, the Holy Spirit, through the writer of Hebrews, had begun at the beginning to talk to us about the high king, Jesus. Verse 6, look what we're told. Let all God's angels worship him, speaking about Jesus. So he is high king. Even all of the heavenly beings, the angelic beings, supernatural, they're not part of this world, they are all told to worship him because he is high king. You go down to verse 8 of chapter 1. Your throne, O God, speaking of Jesus, calling him God, is forever and ever his throne because he is high king. Your scepter is of, of uprightness and it's the scepter of your kingdom. So Jesus is high king. We see that from the very, very beginning. But he's also high priest. And we began to see his high priesthood earlier on. We're not going to look at all the verses, but just to refresh our memory, chapter 4 and verse 15. Look at chapter 4 and verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Pointing to the fact that Jesus as our high priest is different from the Aaronic Levitical high priests the Levitical high priest family at this time was extremely wealthy. They were like aristocrats. They just lived big and expected everyone to honor them like really important people. They did not understand how the normal person lived. But we do not have a high priest like that. He understands our weaknesses, and yet in every respect, although tempted like us, is without sin. The high priesthood family at the time that this is being written had been extraordinarily corrupt. But our high priest is without sin, completely without sin. So then you go to chapter 5 and, and verse 6. He says in another place, speaking of the Son of God, Jesus, you are a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He's a forever priest after the order of Melchizedek. So we, we've been prepared from chapter 1, the high kingship of Jesus. That continues into chapter 2. Then we start hearing about Jesus' high priesthood, and now it comes to a culmination in chapter 7 where we have the, the unique special order of Melchizedek. That's what we looked at last week. And now this morning, it's a much higher order than the other order of Aaron. 
So let's begin reading this morning in verse 4, chapter 7, Hebrews, and verse 4. See how great this man was, talking about Melchizedek, to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And these descendants of Levi, so now he's talking about the Levitical priesthood, who received the priestly office, have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these are also descended from Abraham. But this man, Melchizedek, who does not have his descendant, does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham, and he blessed him who had the promises. It's beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. This is a superior order, a higher order. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, and in another case, by one who, is test, who testified that he lives. There's no history of the beginning or the end of Melchizedek. It's left out on purpose in Genesis. Verse 9, one might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. That is a mouthful. Let's unpack it, because it's really rich and really important. The, import, the emphasis in these verses is all on the excellency, the higher order of Melchizedek's kind of priesthood than the Aaronic priesthood. And Melchizedek is simply a type pointing to the antitype, a shadow pointing to the reality. The reality is Jesus. So what is this excellency and high order of priesthood that Jesus is a part of? You know, I wonder, just in, in passing, I wonder if this isn't one of the passages that Jesus unpacked for the two disciples of his on the way to Emmaus, remember Jesus rose from the dead. These two disciples are walking home from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They're discouraged. Jesus has died. We have no hope. They don't know that Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus suddenly appears to them. He walks with them. And we're told by Luke that as Jesus walked with them, Beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he interpreted to them in the scriptures the things concerning himself. I am sure that beginning with Moses, Genesis 14, written by Moses, Jesus explained to those guys, that story about Melchizedek, it's really about me. He was just pointing you to who I am. Jesus unpacked it. Now the Holy, un Holy Spirit unpacks it for us in Hebrews, and I am so thankful he did, because otherwise we would just wonder why on earth do we have this little short story of Melchizedek in the Old Testament, and then he's never mentioned again. The excellence and high position of Melchizedek as king and as priest simply point to the supremacy of Jesus as high king and high priest, okay? So, Melchizedek's order is a higher order, and the excellency and supremacy that he has points to Jesus and his supremacy as high king and high priest. And you know what that means? That means Jesus is worthy of worship. He is high king and high priest. Look at how verse 4 begins. See how great this man was. Talking about Melchizedek. How much greater he was than who? Then Abraham. And look at the description of Abraham. 
Abraham is a patriarch, the patriarch, who gave a tenth of the spoils. Abraham gave Melchizedek a tithe. It's really important. Now, we may think that's just a strange little incidental bit of information. It's really important. Look at the description of Abraham, first of all. See how great this man, Melchizedek, was to whom Abraham, the patriarch. It's interesting. In the Bible, almost always, the patriarch is not singular, it's plural. The patriarchs, the patriarchs. It's talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The patriarchs. That's the pattern in the Bible. But here, it's Abraham, the patriarch, singular. Why? Because he's the father of those other two, Isaac and Jacob. He, he is the first of the patriarchs. He's the most important of the patriarchs. But even for the most important of the patriarchs, when he meets Melchizedek, he realizes here is somebody of a higher order than me, more important than me. And so what does he do? He pays him a tithe. He had just defeated five, four kings. He had redeemed, he had saved five city-states that had been conquered by those four kings. He's just come back from this massive journey, 240 miles one direction. He's beaten those kings. He comes back. He brings all these people back. He's just freed them. He's got all this loot that they had taken away. Now he brings it back. The king of Sodom says, you can keep all the loot, just give me the people. He says, I don't, I'm not going to keep it because you'll say that you made me rich. I'm not going to keep even a shoelace of this stuff. But one-tenth of it, he gives us a tithe to Melchizedek. Now, tithe had not yet been instituted, right? It's part of the law. That comes later in Exodus. There was no command you had to give a tithe. Abraham was still doing it. Why? It's out of honor. It's out of respect because Melchizedek is someone who is far more important than he is. Now the scriptures go on in verse 10 and 11 and, and they, they, verses 5 and 6, and they explain to us in verses 5 and 6 that the Levites, who are the descendants of, of Abraham, Levi was Abraham's great-grandson, okay, the son of Jacob, one of those 12 sons. Levi, his descendants become the, the descendants who have the priesthood within them. So you've got Levi, all the Levites, they serve in the temple. There's a family within Levi called Aaron's family. Those are the priests and the high priests, and they have a specific role to play. The Levites did not get any inheritance when they entered Israel. Numbers chapter 14 tells us that they didn't get anything that when all the land was given out after they had gone, come through the wilderness, the Levites got no property, no land. Instead, they were supposed to spread out in all the tribes, not live in a, a group together, spread out among everybody, and their inheritance would not be land, but, but would be a tenth of everything everyone else gets. So all the people from Judah and Reuben and Benjamin and everything, they would bring tithes, a tenth, to the Levites, because Levites had no land to live off of, and then the Levites would pay a tenth as well to God into the temple, into the high priests. So the, the, there were, they were all paying a tithe. Even the Levites had to pay a tithe. Why, does Ab why is it significant then that Abraham pays this tithe? 
because he recognizes that with all of his wealth, all of his power, he has just overcome four hugely powerful kings who had overcome five powerful kings. He comes back. He is the guy at the top of the heap. And he sees Melchizedek and he says, no, here is somebody far more important. He is not a priest because his father was a priest. He's a priest because God simply made him a priest. And Abraham gives him a tenth of everything that he's just gotten. Let me just pause for a moment. This is not the lesson from Hebrews, but it's an important question we should ask. If Abraham recognized that Melchizedek was of such a high order that he should give him a tenth, if Jesus is of a much higher order because he's the, the reality that Melchizedek points to, why is it that well, sometimes we as Christians find it hard to give him even a tenth? We don't do it because of law. Neither did Abraham. There was no law that said he had to give a tenth. He did it out of honor. But Melchizedek was only a picture of the true high priest who's Jesus. And some of us would like the, our true high priest to give us things, to give us his righteousness, to take our sins away, to help us when we're sick, and yet out of honor and respect, we can't even bring him a tenth. Abraham paid a tithe to Melchizedek. Why? Because he's of a much higher order, even than Abraham, even than the man who, we're told, had received the promises, verse 6. What does that mean? What promises? We just sang about it in one of those songs we sang. Abraham had received the covenant. In you I will bless all the nations of the earth, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Genesis chapter 15 and Genesis chapter 17, I am going to multiply your seed more than the stars of the sky, more than the sand along the seashore. I am going to bless you and through you I will bless the whole world. God made the covenant with this man and yet Melchizedek was of a higher order. Jesus is even higher than that, a greater king a greater high priest. In fact, so much so that we're told in verse 6, the end of it in verse 7, that not only did Abraham have the promises, but Melchizedek blessed Abraham who had these promises. And verse 7, it's without dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. Abraham having received the covenant promises that are passed down to all of the Jewish people, still valid today. They are still God's chosen people. Abraham was still less than Melchizedek. Melchizedek blesses him. A man who had received the promises and was called my friend by God. The personal friend of God. Melchizedek was higher, a much higher order, and so is Jesus. He's pointing us to Jesus. Then finally, at the, at the end of verse 8, we're told that Melchizedek, in one case, tithes are received by mortal men, that's talking about the Levites, but in another case, by one of whom it is testified he lives there's no record, as we saw last week, of Melchizedek's demise, of his death. That's just, 
left out. That doesn't mean that he never died. All it means is we're not told that, and we're not told it on purpose because he is a type of Jesus who dies and rises again, lives forever. Jesus, our high priest, who always, always represents us before the Father. We're told in verse 25 of chapter 7 that we, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is always praying for you. He's always praying for me. He was not only the high priest for Peter and James and John and Thomas and Nathaniel, and not just for those. Jesus is our high priest because he's still alive and he's still by his Father's side and he's still praying for you and me. Jesus is a forever high priest. So this is a much higher order that Melchizedek represents of priesthood. It has nothing to do with Aaron's priesthood, with the Levites, no beginning, no end. It is a much higher order. Even the most important Jewish person you could say to ever live, Abraham, through whom the whole nation began, recognized that Melchizedek was higher, and he's only a picture of our true high priest. So the supremacy of Jesus Christ as our high king, which mean he, means he reigns in our lives, and the supremacy of Jesus Christ as our high priest because he represents us before the Father and it's only in Christ that we have access to the Father means that those who are in Christ are supremely secure. We are safe in him because he's our high king and he's our high priest and he's representing us before the Father and it's not about me and it's not about what I do and it's not about how good I am. It's about who Jesus is. He's my high priest and because he is such a wonderful high priest, a perfect high priest, I am totally safe in the presence of the Holy God. Now verses 9 and 10 present to us a theological principle that is hugely important. Let me just read them again. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, the, the Levitical people, the, the Levites and the priests, they receive tithes, that Levi paid tithes through Abraham. For he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. What on earth is that? There's a principle in Scripture called corporate solidarity. So last week we were looking at types and antitypes. This is corporate solidarity. It's a Jewish understanding. The whole Jewish nation understood this. It's just the way the Jewish people thought. And God uses it because it is right. It is what, how God sees us. So the Jewish people trace their ancestry all the way back. Ancestry is extraordinarily important for them. All the way back to Abraham through Isaac. They are one, they are, they are brought together, that solidarity, as a corporate group, as a community of Jews, all goes back to Abraham. They are in Abraham. That is what is used when we're, when we're told that even Levi paid tithes in Abraham because he was in the loins of Abraham. Levi was not yet born. He wasn't around when this occurred, when Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. 
but he was going to be a descendant. Without Abraham, he could not be. He could not exist. He's going to come through his DNA, through his chromosomes. And so he was there, in essence, Levi, whose family becomes the high priest family, is paying tithes to Melchizedek, which means Melchizedek's order is a far higher priesthood than the Levitical order. Are we together? That makes sense? Okay, corporate solidarity. Why is that so important? Most of us in this room do not have the privilege of having been born as Jewish people. That's a great privilege because they are the chosen people of God. Most of us are Gentiles. We don't have that corporate solidarity with Abraham. Who do we have it with? We trace our corporate solidarity all the way back through our ancestry. You know, ancestry is a big deal these days, but you keep going back all the way back and we all land in the same place. Who, are, who do we land with? Adam, right? We're all coming from Adam. That's not a great thing. Because what did Adam do? He sinned. And in Adam, we all sinned. Levi paid taxes because his great-grandfather paid taxes, tithes. We all sinned because our ancestor sinned. In Christ, in Christ, the New Testament says, there is also a corporate solidarity for people who are in Christ. Let's unpack that. Let's, let's look at that because this principle, verses 9 and 10, is so important for us to understand if we're going to understand how our salvation works. In Adam, all are sinners. And because we're sinners, we die. Adam sinned, God punished him, and he said, you will now die. And every one of us since then has died. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 puts it really clearly. Therefore, since it's, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. We sinned in Adam, corporate solidarity, and we've all chosen to sin individually. All of us are sinners. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. There's one person who has lived on earth who then was not born in sin. We're all born as sinners because that corporate ancestry from Adam. It's all traced through the fathers down to the children. Jesus was born of a virgin. He does not, he was not born with sin. Because in, as God sees us, the man is responsible. That's part of the headship of the man that, that people get wound up about. Why, why do men have it? Well, men are also responsible. Sin is passed down from fathers to their children, fathers to their children, fathers to their children. Jesus is born of a virgin, 100% human being. He, he is born of Mary, 100% God because the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. Jesus then is able to be born, not of Adam, so he is sinless, and he lives sinless, and then he dies for the rest of us who are sinners. That's why the virgin birth is hugely important. It's this principle that is unpacked for us in verses 9 and 10, corporate solidarity. If Jesus had a human father, he would be born in sin just like you and me. 
He does not have a human father. He's born sinless. He lives sinless. And so in Adam, we are all sinners and die. But in Jesus, all can be made righteous and alive. Because Jesus was born sinless, look at how Romans 5 goes on, verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, that's Adam, the many were made sinners, all of us become sinners because of Adam, so by the one man's obedience, that's Jesus, the many will be made righteous. How does that work? How can Jesus take the rest of us who are sinners and now make us righteous because he's righteous? How does that happen? How do we get born into Jesus' family because we're all born into Adam's family? How do we get born into Jesus' family? Ephesians chapter 2 unpacks it really well. Let me just give, you, give us a few verses. We could, we could spend a long time here. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 starts this way. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. That's all of us. We're all born dead. We're all born ready to die. Every child born into this world knows it's going to die. Or parents know we're going to die. We're born ready to die because we're sinners. Adam's fault comes all the way down to us. But look at what, how Hebrews 2 goes on, verse 4. But God, but God, he can turn the whole thing around. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, look what he does. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together. What does it say? With Christ. Solidarity in Christ. We're going to be hidden in Christ somehow. By grace, you've been saved. We don't deserve this. And ra he raised us up. How? With him in Jesus. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. You and I have no right and no way to go to heaven on our own. Doesn't matter what we do, doesn't matter how much we say we're sorry for our sins, we cannot go to heaven on our own. The only way is in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. How? In Christ Jesus. God so loved his son that he sent his only, he so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Why? You're born as a descendant of Adam. That means you're going to die and go to hell. Corporate solidarity. <laughs> because of Adam and because of yourself, we all choose to sin. But you can be born again in Jesus. And then the life that Jesus has, he gives to us. Jesus has been raised again and we're raised with him. Jesus is seated in the heavenlies and we are seated in the heavenlies so that in the days to come, God's grace can be shown because none of us deserve this, but all of us have an opportunity to go to heaven. How? In Christ Jesus. He is our high priest. That's what it's all about. We have no access to God on our own. 
but in Jesus, our high priest, who was born without sin, lived without sin, died in our place, carrying our sin, and then rose again from the dead. In Christ Jesus, we can live. That's why we go from being children of Adam to children of God. Corporate solidarity in Christ Jesus. There are people who say, everybody on earth is a child of God. You heard that? We're children of Adam. Everyone on earth is created by God. But the only ones who have the right to be called children of God, John chapter 1, are those who put their faith in Jesus. Born again in Jesus. And all of a sudden, we do become children of God. He is our high priest. It's in Christ alone, as we just sang, that we have access to God. The supremacy of Jesus Christ as our high king and our high priest means that those of us who are in Christ are supremely secure because it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with him. We've trusted him. And that also means Jesus is supremely worthy of our worship. He is worthy. Brothers and sisters, you might be here this morning, and if you have heard this before, but you have never asked Jesus to forgive you for your sins, please, right now, in the quietness of your heart, say, Jesus, I am a descendant of Adam, and I know I deserve death and hell. But I want to be born again in Jesus. Please forgive me for my sins because of Jesus and only because of Jesus. And give me new life in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a child of God, Jesus is worthy of worship. There are people who say we shouldn't really worship Jesus. We worship the Father. Jesus and the Father are one. And without Jesus, we do not live, we die. Without Jesus, we, are, we have no right to be in heaven. Our only right is to be in hell. In Christ. We're born the first time in Adam, but we can be born again in Jesus when we ask him to forgive us for our sins and that causes us to worship Lord Jesus we are so grateful that you forgive us for our sins you wash our sins away that although we are born descendants of Adam and born in sin and we sin and we deserve to die and go to hell you allow us to be born again when we ask you to forgive us for our sins Father, I pray that if there's anyone in this room who hasn't simply said those words in their heart to you, please forgive me because of and in Jesus. I pray that they would today. Help us to worship you, Lord Jesus, as our high king and our high priest. It's in your name we pray. Amen.